Hello and welcome to What's Mine is Mine with Bianca Lynn, a podcast about our experiences as black and brown professionals. This podcast is a reminder that what's mine is mine and that our destiny and future accomplishments already has our name on it. Today's guest is a professional brand marketer and award-winning executive producer with over 15 years of creative, strategic experience whose work has touched multiple industries from entertainment, spirits, apparel, and digital from the client-facing agency, media, and brand side. She's led teams at companies like Complex, Netflix, and RP55 Group. She's constantly mentoring, whether it's how she manages her team or her infamous Pep Talk Tuesdays that features an Instagram TV video and a weekly newsletter of themes around encouragement, vulnerability, and connecting to your value. When she's not pouring into others, she's pouring into her husband and three kids, but not without sometimes pouring into herself first. She is Isis Arias. Thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation with me, Isis. It means so, so much to me. You have no idea. Well, thank you for considering me. I think this is awesome what you're doing, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Of course, I could not consider you because so many people that I talk to, you have been a part of their journey or your paths have crossed. So it's like natural that I would make my way to you. And plus you being in LA and not having the travel right now, I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely got to get her now that I have her. Well, you can't see it because it's a podcast, but Bianca has me blushing and that's really, really a beautiful compliment. So thank you. Of course, of course. Don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Tissues. Because I do cry though. But let's start with your journey. Did you always know that you wanted to be in marketing and be behind some of these huge events and experiential? I don't think I had the words to describe it coming up. I went to school for PR and I definitely knew I wanted to be in entertainment and I, I was able to start that journey, but I didn't know what marketing was when it first hit me in the face. And I learned about it during a spring break in Miami. And I saw some guys that were running what later I would find out were marketing activations and they were doing parties and events and they were giving out free things and sampling programs, seeding things. I didn't know any of that language. I was just like, these dudes are getting paid and I want in. Mm -hmm. And coming out of college, I think there are a few people who are lucky to just land an amazing job. And then there's those of us who have to figure it out. And I think I had taken on a few jobs just out of college that were guerrilla marketing on the street, handing out samples and sort of grew from there. So I've learned it from a very specific on the ground from the field up. And I've spent a lot of time digging into and honing those abilities. And I've had some really great big brothers and sisters that are in the field that have helped. But I always knew I wanted to do big things. I always knew I wanted to tap into culture in a really fun way. I just, I didn't know what that was called. I had seen it, but I didn't know how to say, well, that's the thing or that's the title. I didn't mm -hmm. have a, a corporate lens on it even. It was just sort of like, there are people that are doing these really cool things. And what does it mean to produce a festival? What does it mean to throw a concert? I had started in nightlife pretty young. <laughs> and so seeing that side, it's like, okay, well, if you have certain club nights, like what happens next? What are the other elements that bring these things together? So really learned a lot on the ground. That is very interesting to know because some of the projects that I know that you're behind is like very boot camp, like very on the ground, hustle and bustle. But you really succeed in those times. And that's when you really need to succeed. You know, that's why people know that they can count on you. But do you think that because you came up in that way, that's why you're very comfortable in those environments? I think it allowed me to be resilient. I think it was very easy to look at a box 
and say, cool, how do I either get very creative and stay within certain parameters or how do I blow this box all the way up and how do we do that in a fun way? And I think I've been in enough situations where you have a dollar and a dream. You've got five days and 5,000. And then I've been in situations where you've got million dollar budgets and you've got to be really smart with how do you allocate this so that you can do really cool things and, and make it work. And I think there's a lot of analyzing what you've done and figuring out how to optimize that and how do you make something better? How do you hit it again and innovate it? And some of that you don't, again, it's not articulated in that way when you're in the process. You're just sort of like, I know I can do more. I know I can do better and I'm going to push for that. Having worked with you, I never really heard you talking about like, okay, this is where I want to be next in terms of like my title or what I see for myself. Did you think about those things when you were coming up or was it always just like, I really like this. I'm just following my passion. It was more intuitive. I think it was, I want to be a part of something great. Mm -hmm. And that sounds so corny now that I'm saying it, but I think before going to Complex, I knew I wanted to do something bigger and I couldn't articulate exactly what that was going to be or how it was going to look. I couldn't see the pathway to it. I had interviews. There's one that sticks to me all the time. There was an agency that I was put up for and I was sent to the head of global recruitment and she looked at my resume and she was like, I don't get it. I don't understand how this works what? together. Really? And I was like, cool. So I'm not going to end up in one of these very traditional places. And what is that going to mean? Because I have so many varied interests. And I was able to participate in a lot of various programs across fashion, across spirits, across tech. Mm -hmm. And again, the language came later. It was like, oh, I'm running an influencer program. Back then it was tastemakers. And it mm -hmm. was really just finding the who's who that were in culture. It was very organic in the way that I was coming up with the types of programs that I was participating in. And so it was really tough to be like, oh, okay, well, that's the role that I want. I think I grew because I had been the brand ambassador and then I had known that there was a manager. And I was like, cool, well, if you're the guy that's on top, then I want to be you. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And now going into managerial, it's like, oh, okay, well, now there's a director. Okay, well, that I want to be that. So I think I, I'd learned it over time and it's not by way of having been polished up. You know, I'd worked with clients that were very, <laughs> very mm -hmm. different, very buttoned up and seeing how some of those spaces worked. It was like, oh, I, I like this environment. I'm not really into that environment. And, and how do I craft what I'm looking to learn and looking to do? And I think manifestation comes in a lot mm -hmm. on that end. I aspire to grow holistically as a person, but I don't think it's been so like title by title based. And of course, people want to increase their salary or increase their title. But I'm also very aware that higher titles mean additional responsibilities. And that's interesting to learn if you're on a sort of straight and narrow path. But my career has never been linear. I really love hearing that because I've been having conversations with people. This may be like my 15th or 16th conversation, intentional conversation. And a lot of people are like, I always knew what I wanted to do. I know this. I know that. And I'm, I'm not that person. I know that I want to make impact. Similar, I know that I like to do different things. I know that I can be organized and I can take control. I know that I want to have fun and do big things. And not going to lie, hearing a lot of people, especially too with me being unemployed right now, telling me everything that they know that they want to do, that they always knew that they were going to do when they did it. I'm like, oh, Lord, like I struggle with not being intentional, but I can't be too caught up in the details and the specifics, which is interesting because I'm a very detailed person. But if I'm trying to be like, I have to do this by this and it has to look like that, it never works out for me. And then that's where things get really hard. I can't get out of, well, why didn't it work out for me the way that I'm seeing it? Clearly, this person, they have that vision. So 
it really feels so refreshing to hear someone who has been successful in many different ways. Not to say that I didn't think I wouldn't be, but you know, it's really refreshing. Yeah, well, it's less career oriented, but I feel like in my mid-20s, when I was very much in hustle mode, all of my friends were like, oh, I got to get married and have kids by 30. And I was like, 30's coming up mm-hmm. in the next four to five years. We have to get off of this invisible ceiling that we're putting on ourselves. If I'm not a millionaire by 30, if I'm not the CMO by 30, you know, you have these sort of grand ideas. And, and I think that's fine if that's the path that you're on. But not everyone is on that path. And I think I intentionally had to divorce that sort of mentality, which funny enough, I did end up partnered and having children around that age. But I think letting go of the concept of if I don't accomplish X by Y, then I have failed. Mm -hmm. I think that is an incredibly dangerous statement to put on people. I think some of us experience this culturally, Mm -hmm. right? Like with parents that are like, you need to be out my house by X and I need you to be Y and you need to be successful by doing this. I mean, my mom. Probably had a heart attack a few times when I I was (laughs) figuring it out over the years. But it went from, oh, my daughter's out in the club all the time to, oh, my daughter's out at Diddy's party because she's working. You know, Mm -hmm. so it it turned into my daughter's actually in this industry and she was proud of like, oh, you're doing these events and this is a work thing for you. You're not just out partying to Mm -hmm. party like I was getting paid in nightlife for a while. And so that shift sort of happened, but it did happen organically. And And again, I think sometimes we're so stuck in this mind state of like, this is what success looks like because that's what I'm seeing from other people. And I say this because we're also now in a situation where luckily there was no YouTube when I was in college, but also social media came up sort of as I was growing and now you see so much. There's so much saturation of what success looks like, mm-hmm. right? It's a nice car. It's a nice house. It's very material, right? But it's not always how are you feeling in the environments that you're in. You could be rising star in a certain environment thinking, well, this is what I need to do to get ahead. And you're like, this is toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, this is dangerous. I just started watching the other black girl. <laughs> I think it's like really funny just looking at these spaces where you're like, oh, I got to deal with this to get to that. And like, I'm going to put my head down and work and I'm just going to suffer through it because that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And it makes my mom proud because I'm like, oh, look, I'm getting this check from X company. But inside you're like, this sucks. Mm -hmm. So I always talk to especially younger folks about like, I failed technically. I've got air quotes going in getting a certain degree and thinking that I was going to go in that direction, which I will say that coming out of my college experience, I did get a degree with a public relations focus. And I did get a job at a music label with a PR role. And ultimately, it was not for me. Right. And then had to shift again. So I think these moments of pivotal shifts and transitions can often feel like failure. You're like, why is this not working? Mm -hmm. But the universe shifted in a way where I knew that there was something that was going to come. And I knew that if I continued to work and continued to learn, and then with that was able to start to say, hey, this is where I want to go. This is what I want. Then that would sort of come to fruition. I definitely relate to when you make a pivot, you kind of feel like a failure because I was feeling that way, not going to lie, about my current situation. The company that I moved out here with, I had never really did research to what their LA culture was like. I just kind of felt like, okay, the New York office was going to mirror LA. And it was also because I had literally like Two weeks to decide, six weeks to move. And I was just so flattered with the thought, the fact that they were like, oh, do you want to relocate to L.A.? I'm like, there's producers in L.A. all over the place. And you're thinking about me? Like, okay. And I was really open 
to God about wanting to move, but I was thinking out of my studio apartment in Elizabeth to maybe someplace else in New Jersey, not to California. (laughs) So coming here and then it was a pandemic and then I was seeing how my job was changing and I had these goals of things I wanted to accomplish and then I got laid off and then I went to another company and then I really started to think about what mattered to me in terms of the environment. And so then that was a decision I had to make, too. Like, OK, well, here's another like shift in my career path. And then getting to Spotify, I was so excited. I really loved my job. And then they decided they didn't want to invest in the product anymore. And they put me on to another team that was not creative at all. And then that was like, what? I've never not done something creative. And then I got laid off. So I'm like, whoa, in the span of three years, I've had three jobs, which I've never experienced. I'm applying to the jobs, feeling good, and then not hearing anything, understanding that there's so many people that are laid off. I'm like, well, damn, at the same time, I still see so many people that are doing things. And I love to encourage my friends. If you're doing good, I'm in the neighborhood. I'm doing good. A win is our win. But then I started to think like, well, am I really not as good as I think I am in my field? Is this why all of the doors are closed right now? Because I'll go up to the door. I'll try to open it up. Like, yeah, like I'm going to break in. But if the doors close, the doors close. And that's what I had to tell myself. And just even thinking like, am I in a career change? And it's different when you want to do it. And then when you have no choice but to do it. Mm -hmm. It was taking me some time over the summer to just release all of that. And it's also very humbling to be like, yeah, I've worked with phenomenal teams who can do audio and video and editing. And then here I am, (laughs) the sound girl and the editor. (laughs) So just leaning on to the skills that I have. But then even again, and and then I'm going to ask you a question because I'm talking too much about myself. But then even again, (laughs) to think about the reality of, well, I make content for Complex or Jack Daniels or Fuse or Spotify and I get views on that stuff. Mm -hmm. But then when I'm putting it on Busy Bianca, there's a lot of people who watch me, but they're not part of my community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People act like it really costs them money to just double tap. And it's like, I don't have a job. If you like this, I could monetize this. I could get like five cents. I just need a nickel, you know? And people are like, not like stiff them. So it's just all really interesting just having to see how I have to rethink about myself and mm-hmm. what pivots mm-hmm. mean. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that the door won't open again to the type of work I want to do or who knows what type of door this would lead to. But I think I want you and I know we haven't caught up, which is why there's so yeah, much. Yeah, kind that's of talk, yeah, sorry. But I think what's coming up for me as you're talking is you're not not doing the work, mm-hmm. you know, and I want you to recognize it just because there's not a company behind you like you are spending this free time, right? Mm -hmm. This fun employment, doing something that is interesting to you and you're connecting. And even when I started, you know, pep talks was a practice for me in writing in, can I be consistent? Mm -hmm. Can I actively get a year of writing out? You know, and if it goes somewhere from there, cool. If not, fine. But can I do it? And Mm -hmm. I think by you even starting this as a project really for you Mm -hmm. and that will benefit others and impact your community and maybe have some legs and, of course, maybe monetize it in some form or fashion. That's amazing. But I think sometimes we take these moments of things that we do for ourselves as like hobbies Mm -hmm. or like things that shouldn't really be prioritized because it's fun, right? It doesn't really put you anywhere from a career perspective. And I think that that's incorrect. I think we do have to think of ourselves as holistic, multifaceted people. And this practice that you are starting to your mastery on, like you're starting your 10,000 hours, so Mm -hmm. to speak, in creating more content in a different medium that you're 
playing with, this could lead to something. And Mm. you might not be able to see that right now, but someone might listen to this and say, oh, she does have an interesting angle. I actually need to fill some content space on my slate. She's an interesting personality or whatever. I think we put ourselves out there not knowing what will come. And I think as long as you continue to be open as to like, yeah, you've done some really cool things and who knows where that will go. And you might say, actually, this is not for me. This is too much. Like, I don't want to do editing. Like, Mm -hmm. but I am really interested in X and that might open your eyes up to something different and new that you didn't know. And there's new platforms getting launched all the time. There might be something that you're like, oh, actually, I prefer video over audio. You Mm -hmm. just never know. And I think too often we poo-poo ourselves like, yeah, I kind of do this thing. But I mean, I do it to myself Mm -hmm. all the time, you know, because work takes priority. Family takes priority. Somebody's birthday takes priority. You know, Mm -hmm. everything else is a priority outside of the thing that you're doing. But I love that you're doing this in this time frame. And I hope that you do continue that, whether whatever the next job looks like or whatever the next opportunity because I think even getting out of the job perspective there's people who are open to doing projects and being on their own if that's your pathway then like I hope that this is something that you're able to continue throughout that yeah me too and I will say that with applying to jobs I am keeping in mind my podcast content Mm -hmm. like okay well whatever it is that I'm doing Saturdays or Friday mornings or whatever I have to make sure that I continue because I do like the consistency and Mm -hmm. I do like that it is for me especially when there comes a time because there will come a time when I do a project where I'm like oh my gosh like this is not fun like oh oh," you know this is Mm -hmm. so not me Mm -hmm. and I can do things that aren't me you know so it this is nice to also lean into the this selfish time that I have so definitely okay so here's my next question with nearly 20 years in the industry what are your top three jobs or projects Mm. So I, I was trying to like think this through and less jobs or projects and almost accomplishments. Complex kind of course is top on that list because or when it, it's really high on the list. Mm-hmm. Only got three because that was the something big. When I left RP55, I left because I knew I needed to grow. I had done two and a half years. We had been on tour. I had done activations. I had done a lot of work. I had a really small team. And those guys are my brothers. But I knew I needed to do something bigger and more. And that was the moment where I was like, I have no idea where this is going to come from or what it's going to look like. And then the complex job came. And to be completely honest, my friend Gideon put me up for it. Okay. And I wasn't like itching. Like I was like, okay, you know, I'm looking for a new job. So this is cool. This is interesting. And Crystal, who you know, had reached out and we had a great chat. But I was like, yeah, you know, that's cool if it comes together. And it and that ultimately worked out. I didn't expect that four months later, Echo was like, we're going to do something big. Mm-hmm. And that was the something big. That was the festival production. That was the music concert. That was the biggest thing that I couldn't even put together in my head, but I knew I wanted to be a part of something bigger. And I think my day-to-day job was also very fun and really interesting. And I think we were doing really great work with the brands that we were doing activations for. But I think that was like the big dream where it was like, wow, like you can participate in these bigger things. I think I might have been looking into agencies that produce festivals or something. I don't even know what I was looking for at the time, but it was definitely, I don't know, you'd say a dream come true, but it was something that was really amazing to have been a part of in the space and time that we were a part of it, right? I think that is very key, being able to start something new. And that helped the narrative for where I am now. And I say that from a narrative perspective because I often tell folks like your resume is your resume, but what you're really telling people is the story of the narrative of who you are and how you've gotten there, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was one huge one. But the other accomplishment was being on my own. I was on my own for four years. 
I was doing projects and I was working with a variety of agencies and I was a freelancer, mm -hmm. contractor. I had built a, a, my own little business. I had an LLC, which I still have and is not very active, but I was able to pick up so much work, but I was sustaining a life in my 20s in New York in a Brooklyn apartment, mm -hmm. sort of hustling. And I was getting business. Mm -hmm. People were calling and were like, hey, we know you have this. We called them sort of door management. I was hiring door girls for <laughs> large scale events. But, you know, bringing on a crew, training them, setting up the programs, I had learned enough where I was able to navigate. And I think that gave me so much experience and learning, but also the confidence to be like, oh, I can do this on my own, mm -hmm. you know, and. Of course, I didn't have <laughs> other responsibilities in terms of a family. So it was very easy to be like, okay, well, my rent is X and my food bill is X and my cell phone is Y, right? Like, how can I make enough to do this and sustain it on my own? And of course, like, I could have gotten a job, mm -hmm. but I think I learned so much in that time frame. And I got to touch so many different brands and I met so many people through that process and I would not have traded that. I think that... Having that opportunity and then feeling successful within that time frame, you know, ultimately I did give it up and take on a job. Mm -hmm. But I think that was like a huge, huge moment for me. And then, of course, the accomplishment of getting into the position that I'm in now here at Netflix, I think the role was sort of the perfect opportunity for me to shift into where I think I wanted to shift next. You know, having done so much work at Complex and Complex on it was brand facing and mm -hmm. I really wanted to shift into IP. I really wanted to shift into global. There were so many things that I knew I wanted to learn next that I wasn't going to be able to get. And I did transition out of Complex into a different role that was not pandemic proof. And I also was furloughed and mm -hmm. laid off. And I think in that time frame, I had to do a lot of work in terms of, well, what is next and what does that look like? And I think ending up here was a part of doing some of that work, that intentionality, that manifesting, here's what I need to do, here's what I'm interested in. And I was very clear in all of my interviews at a certain point, like this is what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And this is the type of environment that I like and here's how I operate best. And I'm really willing and able and excited to work. But also ComplexCon allowed me to understand the language of I prefer to innovate in spaces that are existing. So having that startup innovative mentality, but in an existing structure because I had gone to a startup mm -hmm. and that startup was not able to sustain in a way that allowed me to continue there. Right. But ultimately it was like, okay, I know I want to work on brand new projects and new things that are coming to life, but I want to do that in specific spaces. And so all of those experiences just allowed me to learn and then figure out what it was that allowed me to update that narrative and then update what I wanted next. And then like, what does growth look like to me? Mm -hmm. That doesn't look like what my colleague might think or a friend might think they might be like, oh, well, why aren't you going for X or why aren't you doing Y? And it's like, no, this is where I think I need to be going next. So those are the three areas that I'm very proud of mm -hmm. in this wayward <laughs> roller coaster of a career. I have a quick question. Would you go back to doing your own thing? I know that it would look differently now because you have your family mm -hmm. and you're not in New York anymore. You're in mm -hmm. L.A. But could you see yourself doing something like that? Over the years, I've gotten very interested in the coaching space and a lot of people call and I've sort of started a niche there. I don't know if I would solely do that work. I feel like that's the life's work, the, the mentorship, mm -hmm. the coaching aspect. I think that's very interesting. I think that I could totally see myself doing consultative work, but it does look different, right? Like that number of, well, my rent was not even $1,000 and mm -hmm. I can survive up of $20 at the grocery. It's very different now. And I'm lucky to have an amazing partner that supports that. But it was tricky, like even during the pandemic when I wasn't working, it was mm -hmm. very tricky to be like, what am I doing? Yeah. What does this look like? So I think 
really it's a matter of what is the offering? What does that look like? What would it take? But I'm never not open because mm -hmm. the universe will throw you into some really interesting positions if you're open to it. And I think the mantra is, you know, I believe in an abundance, mm -hmm. right? And I believe that I will be taken care of in the way that I need to be based off of the lifestyle that we were now developing. Yeah, yeah. And that doesn't necessarily need to be like, I am doing this in a job format. It's like, well, I'm open to opportunities that allow for abundance. Mm -hmm. And like leaving it up to kind yeah. of like, I can refine some of that, but I also want to make sure that that allows for something that's more in a consult space or something that is an opportunity in a role. Mm -hmm. I love that. I will say I'm actually in a class right now to become a certified life coach. It's with Life Purpose Institute using this time where I'm like, okay, like I'm not getting any calls back. Like I'm applying, but well, I got some downtime. Let me just invest in myself and kind of see. So when you mentioned coaching, I thought, oh, there is business. I have been doing my research about how it can be lucrative. Yeah. But I, you never know. So from a life coaching perspective, it took me a long time to actually get the first certificate. It was supposed to be a six-month program. It took me a couple of years because I thought I was going to do it on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. um, and that quickly <laughs> was was not something that panned out. But I stuck with it and was like, I'm going to finish this thing. And it, it's the first one. So I think I want to continue to understand different modalities and hone in. But it's also very interesting because what I'm starting to do is understand the pattern of why people are calling. Mm -hmm. What is driving them to make that phone call? Because there's people that I know very closely. And there's people that are like, yo, my friend told me to call you mm -hmm. and that you would be good to talk about it. and I know people are very hesitant to be like oh pick your brain it's like yes sure I should monetize at some point mm -hmm. I'm not there yet where mm -hmm. I feel like that's necessary that's the life's work like I'll be doing that forever and I think sure at some point there will probably be a number associated with my time for it but at this point if I can impact community mm -hmm. in, a, in a helpful way where it's not such a financial burden where I have to charge yeah, for it I think it's like how can I share my insight, share my experience, or just listen? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just about listening and saying, okay, well, have you tried this? Or is this something that you want to explore? And, mm -hmm. and those simple nods are, are sort of things that can be helpful. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, so now I want to talk about what was a challenge that you had to overcome in your career. And I didn't mention this yet in our recording that you were my boss at Complex and it was under you that I was able to have the opportunity to do complex con, but I'm bringing this up along with the question of challenge because I was a challenge. <laughs> and I want to say, and I want to just get it here on the recording that I know that I was a hot ass mess. And it was just more so I did not have work-life balance. I was going through a lot of things. I was insecure. I put a lot into my job. I just didn't really know who I was. I'm very passionate. That has not changed. But figuring out how to convey myself and just navigate those spaces because there was a lot that was being put on us. And now or then, I still would be the one to be like, uh-uh, like, <laughs> we're doing too much. No, like, I still think that in general, like, just hustle culture like we're just pushed way too far mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I do want to say I am just so sorry for all of the <laughs> the pushback and the attitude that I gave you have to know and I know that you knew because you were definitely trying to be like Bianca you know let's and I would be like nah like I'm hungry I don't have no food <laughs> I'm not even trying to talk about this and I just want to again say I'm sorry and thank you so much for not giving up on me. I know what it's like to work with people under me that are difficult and that are just like, come on, girl, like, do you need to give this to me today? <laughs> you know, and I just have to acknowledge that I knew it then, but I was just so much more into my ego and I 
had a lot of things that I was unhappy about. And when you're unhappy in, yeah. in misery, it will just eat you up. And that's who you become, unfortunately. So it was hard for me to get out of all of that. I mean, I fainted on an airplane. I really was not good. I did not have boundaries. And it was like very consuming. So again, I, I said it, I've been talking about it now for like three minutes. I'm just so <laughs> sorry. And like, honestly, thank you so much. And Isis, you even helped my little sister out. And I thought that was amazing. I know that Sahara is not who I am. And what you did for her has nothing to do with me. But I'm like, dang, I was so like bratty. I remember one of the last times I saw you when I worked at Complex, you were pregnant with your son. And we had some review and I was not feeling you and Rachel. And I'm like, (laughs) I cannot believe this. And then it was like two days later, you had your baby. And I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, my God. Like. I know I sent her to the hospital after that. You did not send me. I just was like, oh, because at the same time, I would say things and then overthink everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just got to like make the bed and lay in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just want to leave her alone now. I said enough. I'll just let her be and then, you know, give it some time. And it had been a long time. And now I'm finally here saying that because I know. I will give you some context as to my experience because you were a part of a team I absorbed, Mm -hmm. right? Like I came in as the new boss and I will say, I remember having a conversation. I started in December or something, Mm -hmm. November, December. And I was at All-Star Weekend in February with one of my previous bosses who is a mentor and big sister to me who I look up to so much. And I was like, I can't do this. (laughs) I was like, I don't know how you did it, but I don't know. And I had managed a team under her. So like- it's not that I had been new to management and it was different being in an office and she had some words of wisdom where she was like, first off, no one is ever going to understand the umbrella that you are holding up for the shitstorm. No one is going to understand that. She's like, you're new, you're young, you're a mom, you're fresh. Like people bring their stuff to work. It is not about you. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just have to like deal with that. And we did. We had a ton of work, a ton of pressure, no resources. I was fighting. What you don't know is at some point our Then boss, when we were going through the first acquisition, asked me to cut people. Mm -hmm. And I had to fight for the team. And luckily, our team didn't lose. And I know some of the other teams did have to let go of some folks. But I advocated really hard. And that's very difficult when you're like, I don't even know if I like all these people, but I got to fight for their jobs. And that was never anything I could have said to you at that point, right? And no one knew the pressure that I was also under to deliver on time, under budget, and trying to figure it out and navigate that world. And I think we did successfully. Like, I am very proud of my time there. We built some really amazing things, but even Complex Hunt was my second and third job. And I was doing things that no one knew I was doing. I was in meetings that no one knew I was in. It was taking away time. And I was also trying to optimize our processes and rethink how we could be working better and how do we adjust the teams to be photo or video or events because everyone was doing everything and everyone didn't love to do everything, right? right? And that shift took so much time, but it was strategic and it was intentional. So I understood the tension that came. I understood the chaos. I understood how Jack Daniels took everybody. (laughs) At some point, Mm -hmm. sorry for the brand shout out, but that program was very tough. And I know that there was a ton of pressure putting on. And I think what often doesn't happen is that no one is thinking about the pressure that's above that. Right. Right. I think we were all trying to just do our best. I also think it was a very young team. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of young people that were working there and you're influenced by a variety of factors. And it's tough to find boundaries. I also had no boundaries at some point. I think you go through that and you don't realize the impact. So I'm glad that you were able to create that moment of self-awareness and actualize in the sense where it's like, oh, this is my ego speaking, or this is an area where I need to pay attention Mm -hmm. to. My body is literally saying no more, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and trust on the background. We were fighting. <laughs> I was like, I need more people. I need yeah. more money. I need more everything. And it's tough learning business in that regard where it's like, cool, I have no resources and I have all of these things that we have to deliver. And how are we going to do that without killing everyone? Mm -hmm. But that is also why I am very keen on burnout. And I would get text messages if our team wasn't in at nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm hmm. And I was like, yeah, but they've also been on airplanes and they've mm -hmm. also been working and they've been working on the weekends and I'm going to let you work from home and I'm going to take the heat for it. And I don't care. I remember sending a couple of people. I'm like, oh, you've been on the road for two weeks. You need to go do your laundry. Mm -hmm. If you need something, call me. I will cover you. But that was something that was so important to me in creating that kind of space because that is kind of how we were able to survive. And I think constantly grinding is not helpful for anyone. I think in this time frame, years later, now the world has come to that conclusion as well. And mm -hmm. I think pandemic and social happenings has opened our eyes to like, well, what are we doing and how are we doing this? And I think even post pandemic, we've gotten into some of those old habits where it's like yeah. constant. But I think we have to just be aware of like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Like mentally, this doesn't feel good. Physically, this doesn't feel good. Emotionally, this doesn't feel good. And then how do we create time and space to address those things. I'm definitely grateful for those moments too. I remember there was one time me and Khadija, we came back from Atlanta and I was like, I'm going to go back to New Jersey. And she's like, we got to go to the office, fly in, fly with me into JFK. And I was so upset with her. I'm like, no, <laughs> let me go to New Jersey and drop my bags off. She's like, no, because you're not going to come back. So then we take a cab. Then she loses her wallet in the cab. And we had to like be at some meeting. And then just by the time we get upstairs, Rachel's like, oh, my gosh, you girls look crazy. Why come in? And I just looked at Khadijah like, I told you, just go home. And I'm like, yeah, we just needed to, like, drop something off. And I left shortly after. I'm like, Deej, you're on your own. I'm stressed. It was mm -hmm. so much. It was mm -hmm. so much. But but I think there's things like that in just hearing about how you experienced that moment, right? How you took to it and you were like, absolutely not. I'm out. And how she was like, no, but we have to show up. And I think there is something about the optics, mm -hmm. right? I was lucky at a certain point in that office to have a team of all black women, which mm -hmm. is very proud of. But I think it was also the optics of how do we show up and are we showing up in the way that we think we're expected to. Mm -hmm. I actually struggled with this once where this is before I came to this role. I was at an agency for a year running their production and I was stressed and traveling and I kept trying to keep this one meeting because I think the client was going to be on it or something. And I was like, I have to do this meeting. I have to do this meeting. But I was in a different time zone. I was traveling. I had the kids. It was like stress, 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 stress. And finally, I just said something to the founder who was, you know, a good friend. And I was like, I don't think I can do it. And she was like, cool, I'll move it. I can do that? Mm -hmm. Like, I could simply ask for support. Because really, I thought she would just keep the meeting and be like, I'll, I'll cover you. She was like, I'll move it. I'll move it to next week. It's not a big deal. And I was like, wow, there is something about asking for what you need and being able to advocate that and still show up and be your aim game and be the boss and lead the team and do all that work. But also like, hey there is some flexibility here and we can still do those things and show up the way we need to, but give ourselves some grace and be like, cool, I'm going to be home and I'll come in in two hours for the meeting or I'll call in for this one, but I'll be in by X time. I just need a minute. And I think if you have that communication and you're able to say that in certain environments and in some instances, you got to thug it out, yeah. right? But then there's other moments where you're like, is this an internal meeting? I'm going off camera. And being able to discern what you have to push for and push through and what 
you don't. And I think you just learn that over time. It's tough. And I think there's no easy way to be one-sided or the other. You can mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, I don't do this or I don't do that. Like, that's never the right attitude because in some instances you're going to have to. Or you can stick with that, but then someone's going to be like, well, this is how that person operates and that's not actually what we're looking for at this right. time or we're not going to give additional opportunities because of X. So I think it's listening to yourself and saying, what is it that I need right now? I'm still going to be able to do what I need to do or mm-hmm. I've already delivered at a high level what I've done and now I need a moment and you know like how do you block your schedule after a six hour flight to be like I need four hours Mm -hmm. before I I can do calls but I can't do anything in person right how do you create those spaces which you wouldn't have known until Mm -hmm. you experienced it and you were like oh no that's not happening or just asking the question I mean honestly that could have been the thing if you made the phone call to be like hey do you need me in this meeting I think so many times we don't advocate for ourselves in those ways because we don't know we can exactly yeah and I I will say definitely in my earlier like in my 20s like 10 years ago I would never think that because then I'd be like oh man they think that I I can't handle this and I don't want them to think but it's true I couldn't handle it but it wasn't the work my body couldn't handle it then now I'm the one that's waking up on the floor of the airplane like (laughs) "Uh uh-uh no how did this happen okay so I don't even think you answered the question because I just took over again But what was the challenge that you had to overcome in your career? Confidence has always been something that I, the the thing that you know that you know that you know, that like what's mine is mine, it's for me and it's not for anybody Mm -hmm. else. Sometimes that confidence wanes and that has been something that I have been working on. And I think the pandemic, the furlough and being like, oh my gosh, my whole industry is dying. There's no events to produce. It is not safe to put people in gathering spaces. Trying to figure out where am I going? How am I going to be relevant? Right? Because relevancy is the thing too. I'm looking to be at a certain level. Like if I'm not working, then how am I going to even showcase what I do? And so I think really doing the work to be like, this is what I do. This is what I know I'm good at. This is what I am interested in. I'm curious about here's the group that I serve because I do consider a part of this work that I'm in as service to a community. How do I need to show up even as optics of like, oh, wow, there's a woman of color in that spot, in that room, in that position. And how do I create opportunities for others knowing those things and literally on a whiteboard? Like I did all that work just writing it down and I had to stare at it every day and be like, okay, well, when I'm in interviews, like virtually that board is behind my computer and I'm staring at it like, no, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. I am a woman of color. I'm a black woman. I am a mother. I am a wife. Family is important to me. I am a friend. And here's all the, the things and here's who I serve and here's why I do it. And I think leaning into, well, this is the why, that purpose driven from an empathetic sort of like I think of humans, like I'm not here to just run numbers and have employees that I'm going to burn out. Like I believe in creating spaces where I can be like, are you Mm -hmm. good? What do you need? That confidence to be like, no, this is who I am. And this is how I show up has been challenging over the years because you have a bad day at work and you're like, oh, did I mess this up? Maybe I'm not Mm -hmm. that good. Or actually, maybe I didn't know that. Shoot, I made the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Like I should have made the right decision. Did I not do enough research? Maybe I'm not a marketer. (laughs) Maybe I've been calling myself the wrong thing. You know, the doubts creep in. You can tell when someone walks in a room and they're fully confident versus when they're not. The idea of the imposter syndrome and feeling like Mm -hmm. a fraud, like that still shows up in a way where I don't know if you can totally kick it to the curb or if you just need to be mindful of like, oh, here you go. Hi, friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Listen, doubt. I need you to go sit in the corner today. Over the years, you have successes and you have some failures and some challenges. But when you back up and look at the whole picture, you're like, oh, wow, like I did do something. This is pretty interesting and I should Mm -hmm. lean in more. But confidence waning has probably been the challenge. How do you balance being a mom, being a wife, being on your team, being a sister, a mentor, What are you doing for yourself? How do you prioritize yourself 
what are those conversations like? Because I'm sure sometimes you may feel guilt. So how do you manage all of that and manage burnout? Sometimes it manages me, if I'm being totally honest. I don't think I've mastered it. I think there's been times where I push myself to the limit and then it's been like, I got to go. I need to go take mm-hmm. a break. I started doing solo vacations a couple years ago, which is funny because I was like, oh, wow, this is the first time I've traveled by myself ever, ever. Wow. And that was really wonderful to have time to myself. Also in shifting from New York to L.A. and having to find new practitioners, I, I had um, a holistic doctor that was doing my acupuncture and my body work and We would do cleanses if I needed them, trying to rebuild that community of like, well, what is it that I need? Body work is important to me, right? Like going and getting the massage is not always a spa experience. Sometimes it's working at kinks because that knot has been getting built Mm -hmm. up because of all that stress that you're carrying. Acupuncture, especially in anxious moments, like getting some needles just thrown in and relaxing for a little bit. I found this really lovely person here that does lymphatic massage and that's beautiful and I've gotten an osteopath. So there's all of these modalities that I've found that are really helpful for me and trying to put that on a cadence. Movement. Like I took a long walk today, which I know in LA people don't walk as much, but I take phone calls and I'm just like, I'm going to walk for this one. I'm off camera and I just walk. But even that is important to me. Just having that time and space, being attuned to, hey, I haven't been meditating in a while and I actually need to take a moment because I'm reacting a certain way. And I think Mm -hmm. being the mom, I am conscious of how I'm reacting to the kids. There's things that'll happen like, oh my gosh, my three-year-old's being a three-year-old. And then if I'm reacting a certain way, it's like, what's going on with me? Do I need a nap? (laughs) Do I need a nap? I need to go on timeout for a bit. If I'm reacting in a way that I don't feel like is appropriate, um, what the situation is, then I got to go check myself, right? And so it's like, mommy's going to go sit down for 10 minutes, just go meditate. I've actually had conference calls where I was like, I need a minute, I'm going to go take a break. It's more mindfulness than anything else. All of the things that I mentioned are tactical that fit for me. And that's those are the things that over time I've learned are helpful for mm-hmm. keeping myself balanced. But I fall off. I get back on. You know, mm-hmm. I'm on day three of meditation. But if you looked at my overall schedule, it's been ongoing, but it's like every other day. But guilt is tough. Mom guilt mm-hmm. is really tough. I went to a talk once that Diane von Furstenberg was a part of. And she was like, I don't believe in guilt. She was like, that's a useless feeling. I don't believe in mom guilt. My children have always seen me work and that's what they should have seen. They should have seen their mother working. And I I believe in that. And she was like, my children were always in the showroom. And it was such an interesting perspective because it happens again from a confidence. It's like, well, I saw my mother working Mm -hmm. and I grew up knowing that she could do anything. And so therefore I can do anything. And my kids love coming to work, right? (laughs) Like they love going and seeing the things that I'm doing. They love being able to come by the office. They understand that mommy works and mommy enjoys her work. And I think that I'm lucky and grateful for that opportunity where, yes, there are days that it's a grind, but there are days where I'm like, mommy's having a lot of fun. I'm going to the office and it's going to be great and I'll see you later. And they understand that. And so especially being on the road, sometimes I think the travel can be tough where you're like, and I got to be away. I'm going to miss this. Or, you know, I've got to reschedule that. Sometimes it's like, I actually need to be away for a weekend and I need to just sleep in a hotel room Mm -hmm. without anybody crawling Mm -hmm. into the bed or asking me for water. And that's tough because it feels like, oh, maybe I'm failing. I have always said, like, I'm killing it at work. My family life is like, what's going on? Where are you? You haven't been here. If I'm Mm -hmm. super mom and I'm doing all of the things, it's like, oh, forgot to send that email, missed that meeting, you know? So, I think it's a tough balance. I'm not going to say I've mastered it at all, Mm -hmm. but I think just trying to be as mindful as possible. Like I have a crew of moms, like I got a couple mom chats Mm -hmm. (laughs) that every once in a while 
I reach out to and mm -hmm. someone was like, oh, you posting a lot of stressful mom memes. And I'm like, some of them are just funny because it's real. <laughs> like that is yeah. really life. Like it might not be the moment that I post it, but it's funny because I'm like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, like, it's relatable. You know, mm -hmm. so I think it's tough, but I try to be as mindful as possible. Like with my team, I'm grateful. I have a great team here, but, you know, I've told them like, hey, I am covering childcare for the week. Like I am running around and doing preschool mm -hmm. visits. Hey, I need a minute. Can you cover this? Or hey, if we can shift this, just let me handle that. And it's a balance. But again, it's that asking for the support that is needed. Mm -hmm. And how do you advocate for that? And I'm grateful that I, I, I'm able to get some ground coverage on that end. But it's it's not easy. What are those conversations like with your husband when you need to prioritize yourself? And, and maybe this is too much because this wasn't pre-approved on the list. But I am curious because I am single, so I have a lot of selfish thoughts. And even though I have friendships and relationships that I do have to manage in terms of like, hey, I can't help you out today. I haven't meditated. I need to go to the gym first. So I kind of have that practice of having those conversations. But I'm single, so it's like it matters. But like to what degree? So I am just curious of what those conversations are like, more so like on that frame set of marriage because even too going on a solo trip I can't believe you just did that the first time I went on a solo trip I was 27 I was working at complex it was my golden birthday mm -hmm. I wore a golden thong bikini I still do my solo trips and I still wear my bikinis mm -hmm. so I'm like dang like that's something that I know that I don't want to give up and I'm prepared to I'm having these conversations with myself to be like hey sir because mm -hmm. I like sirs <laughs> these are some things that are really important to mm -hmm. me Maybe you've seen this on social media. I'm on some retreat or whatever, but like, I don't want this to change. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that your husband has ever tried to change mm -hmm. you, but your life has mm -hmm. changed. So sometimes your needs yeah. are going to change too. And so like, what's that like? Partnership is a collaboration. Compromise sometimes is like the big word that people talk about, right? Like relationships are work. Yeah, sure. Everything's work though, right? Mm -hmm. And relationships in general, friendships are also work. I am lucky to have a great partner that understands who I am and what I do. Although when we first met, he was like, you throw parties? Like what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's not always an easy conversation because again, there's the guilt of like, well, if I'm leaving for time for myself, that means that you've got the kids. And it's not that he's not incapable of, you know. Of course. Handling children, but it's also like, all right, now. And then it's the other side of that. It's like, well, I'm going to over prepare. I've packed all the lunches. I've made all the dinners. I've marinated everything. The childcare is coming. The school thing is set up. I've signed all the permission slips. I've overdone it, right? Just so that you don't have to do that it's much, easier. right? So there's that side. I have been guilty of melting down and being like, I got to go. And I think that that's not fair. So I think it's, it's really being that practice of like, okay, I'm getting to that point. And how do I start to surface that like, hey, I need some support here or like this is getting really challenging or hey, the next two weeks of work is going to be tough. So like I'm not going to have it and then I'm going to need a break afterwards. Right. It's really tough. It's tough. Mm -hmm. um, it's not always easy. Again, I'm grateful that I've been able to do those chances. But I think the first solo trip that I did, that was my Christmas present. I was like, I don't want anything for Christmas. Do not buy me a thing. I want to go away. So I, that's nice. what I want. My gift is figure it out. <laughs> send me somewhere book whatever you need to do with these children for the weekend and that's what I want because I had known that I was getting to that point and not everyone can do that you know and mm -hmm. I think I advocate that people should find partners that they can have that conversation with hey this is really important to me to travel like I know you want a family and I want a family too but it's really important that we go places and I, really important that I get time to myself you know I really mm -hmm. need that to 
reset and to recharge and to just hone in and like tap into my intuition, which you can't always do when you're getting pulled in all these different directions. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning to advocate for trying to figure it out. But I think being able to take a moment and being like, okay, well, what do I need? Just tuning back into yourself and then figuring out how best to communicate that. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think marriage or a long-term partnership or a new partnership is really just about that communication. And maybe I didn't need this last week, but this week was tough and I just Mm -hmm. need a minute. And of course, I want to spend time with you and I adore and love you and all those things. I'm not always good at it. And there's times where it's a grind, but I think it's it's only being mindful of like, how can I approach this so that, mm-hmm. you know, I can get what I need and we can all get the support that we have to have in order for that to happen. Yeah. Thank you for answering that, because I have some friends who sacrifice a lot of what they need for their relationships. And I'm like, okay, I know that I'm single, but girl, like, come on, you're depressed. Mm. You're not doing anything that is bringing you joy. And then I also find that a lot of people don't know happiness or themselves outside of their relationship. I wanted to ask you that question because I wanted people who are in marriages or relationships to hear that it's possible and not just be like, okay, Bianca, you can do whatever you want. Like, you don't have so much at stake. You don't have to know that attachment. Like I said, it's not easy. It is not an easy thing to figure out. And sometimes it's like the one more thing to figure out and that's going to break you. But I think it's important. And I think if that's what Mm -hmm. you need, then how do you figure out what to ask? But trust me, there's a little jealousy. Like I am not a jealous person, but I think like when people are like, oh, I'm going to go to Mexico for the weekend and like hang out and did it like, of course, I want to be like, yeah, me too. And I can't all the time. And that's tough. It's that prioritization. And like, how do you fit yourself? I actually read a book called Fair Play that was really impactful for me and just understanding like all of the invisible work that women do Mm -hmm. as mothers, as partners, all of the things that you take on that is the brain space. Sometimes it's not physically doing something, but it's like, oh, I have to plan this. I have to prioritize it, plan it, implement it and execute it. It's just like all of those things that space Mm -hmm. and it's stuff to let go of. I do not have one of those easy lives where it's like clock in, I clock out, I go home, I have a full weekend. Like it's not, you know, very simple Mm -hmm. in that way. So I want to be honest in that it's not always easy, but it is important. Mm -hmm. What does success look like for you? At this point in my life, ease, stability and ease, finding more ease as is what I am now seeking there are tough things there are hard things but how do we allow for more ease into life back in the day if you asked me to be like i'll make a million dollars right like i'm gonna get a new car i'm gonna buy like i've done a lot of things but i think at this stage in life it's how do i create ease in our lives how do i raise amazing human beings how do i show up at work and feel confident and do my best and be proud of the things that i walk away from and how do i do that with confidence and grace and ease Mm -hmm. You have accomplished a lot in your career, both in the execution of what you're doing and the support behind the scenes. What has been an affirmation that represents your experience? What would you say is your affirmation? That represents my experience. I did it my way. (laughs) Okay, Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. My career has not been linear, but that was how it worked for me. And, you know, it was as intentional as it could be, but Mm -hmm. definitely my way. What's next for you? Do you know? I know that we've been talking up very (laughs) broadly and generally, which is cool. But maybe you have an idea of something that you may want to accomplish. Maybe doesn't have to be like in the next five years or 10 years. I want to continue to grow. And that might look like in a current position that might mean in just accomplishments and like, wow, we've done some really cool things. 
that could be in the coaching perspective, which is really impactful from a community perspective. And that's very interesting to me. I want to continue to get pep talks to do whatever it's supposed to do, whether that's in a book or a speaking format or an audiobook <laughs> or an audiobook, <laughs> which I hadn't thought of, but thank you. I don't know if I, I see exactly what's next. I think right now that what's next is finding the stability based off of the transitions that I've been having, right? Like shifting to LA, shifting to new mm -hmm. roles, shifting children into elementary to middle. There's a lot of transitional spaces that have been going on, I think. What's next is like finding a way to ride the wave. So I'm, le I'm learning how to surf again, right? And so I think that that's what's next. It's not like, oh, next is this title or this salary. And like, of course, that might come into play. But I think more so it's like, how do I continue to build ease into this lifestyle and, and find that stability and feel really good about everything that's going on and what we're doing? Mm -hmm. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to know, was there anything that you wanted to mention for the listeners or was there anything you wanted to ask me? You had a question about a mantra that was about your previous experience and then one for future. And I think I've been saying recently is run your own race, like run my own race. I think especially growing into different environments, corporate, otherwise, right? There is this expectation of what growth looks like. And I've had to remind myself in the spaces that I'm in, like I am capable of running my own race at the pace that I need to. So that's something that I want to remind people because I think we are so inundated with what we think we should be doing or what other people think we should be doing. I want people to do what's best for them. It's not always easy to figure out what that is. It takes some work to dig into, but I think we'll do what's best for you and run your own race. Definitely. Well, that's perfect for me. I also want to say my the listeners are is me. When I edit this, <laughs> I listen to the episode so many times. And everything that about our conversation truly resonates. And I'm not just saying it to say it, but because of the fact that this week I started taking life coaching classes mm -hmm. and you were pivotal in giving me one of my first self-help books. <laughs> and when I look back on the type of boss that I want to be or try to be, you definitely are that example. Thank and you. so, yes. And so. I am so blessed by having this conversation. And like I said, it really meant because I've been feeling like, dang, I really owe Isis this apology. I just need to let her know whether you were like wanting it or not. It was just something that I was like, damn, that I really wasn't my best self. And just thank you so much for allowing me to have that space to not be my best self as best as you could, you know, given everything that was going on with the, the job and the work well, that we were I doing. I think we all hope that in our moments of growth, that someone allows us to have the grace to have those spaces to hit your head against mm -hmm. the wall, right? And mm -hmm. fall down and not physically, because I understand. Yeah, yes, yes. Didn't mean to trigger. Um, <laughs> but, you know, make those mistakes and come out of it when, not that you won't have battle scars with that, but like, oh, like I learned something from that. And I think as long as you're learning from those mistakes, I think that that's what's really important. And I think it's been beautiful watching you grow from afar. And I, I'm very excited to see what comes next in your career because I know that you've been doing some really cool work and I'm glad to bear witness to what that means for growth for you. So, yes. Cheers, Bianca. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. So everyone listening, I know that you enjoyed this. I could feel it in the energy coming out. And if you have any questions or wanted to reach out about anything, you can always follow it's Bianca Lynn and I'll point you in the direction of Isis because I'm not trying to give you all her info. She already has a lot going <laughs> on. 
But yes, thank you so much. Until next thank time. Thank you. Bye.